Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 6, issue 300. And we're going to be talking all about The Witcher 3, Hearts of Stone and Blood and Wine DLCs. Normally now, I say you can play along with the show, but you can't really because we haven't announced the new volume yet. But you can still head to canarince.com for articles, features, reviews, links to the forum, the Facebook page, the YouTube channel, all that good stuff. And if you enjoy what we do, you can support us in a number of ways, including our Patreon, patreon.com slash If you believe that the hours of podcasts that we produce for your listening pleasure are worth something in return, you can donate. If you prefer to buy something with your cash and get something physical in return, we have T-shirts and bags, don't forget, over at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk. Very good quality merch for this show and also our other podcast, Sound of Play. And we really, really appreciate it if you can rate, review, subscribe to both of the podcasts on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whichever other platform from which you get them. Right, moving straight along. Joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 300, can you believe it? It's Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Leah Haydu. I have a glass of red wine because I thought that was appropriate. That's very appropriate <laughs> indeed. And joining us for the first time, uh, I'm going by, we'll go by his Twitter. He's an author, a dream weaver and a visionary. <laughs> also, uh, one of the most ubiquitous uh, freelance games writers uh, in town at the moment. Uh, former <laughs> Vice UK Waypoint editor is Mike Diver. Welcome to Kane and Rinse. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a um, a Garth Marenghi reference yes. for anyone who who, who blessed doesn't get it as is my current twitter handle which is what if a rat could drive a bus um, yeah yeah i was having a bit of a garth Marenghi uh session lately and these things kind of spill over into into my social media presence so you know, I, I, I just let them yeah but uh, yeah it's, it's really, really nice to be on and, and like you say you know me me and the witcher and the witcher 3 particularly i mean it was it was such a massive thing just when i was kind of pulling the Vice stuff together and I, I spent an awful lot of time with Geralt in this game and then when the DLC yeah. happened it was like woohoo more yeah. of that please yeah yeah and i think that's the sentiment uh that uh, many of our uh, correspondents that we'll hear from from the forum will echo uh for me and leah i think we've well we've leah has literally just finished this yes. dlc like now uh, uh, yeah, about 10 minutes ago, I actually yeah. had to ask um, everybody to move the recording back about half an hour uh, so that I could do so. So um, I, I did not budget my time very well this week. <laughs> well, but, it's, uh, it's kind of a good uh, testament to just how... Uh, sort of packed this uh, this extra bit of yes. content for The Witcher 3 is. And I think it's probably fair to say that the attach rate for this DLC must be incredibly high, especially as the, the amount of money they often charge for the entire package now is so negligible for the amount of hours of entertainment uh, many people have got out of it. Uh, I also finished it uh, today, um, earlier today, though I was a bit better at budgeting my time, but then my day started uh, earlier than Leah's because I'm in the UK or something True. like that. True. Yeah. Uh, but I did have to, uh, I d delightfully saved the final boss fight for uh, of Blood and Wine for today. But uh, coming back with a clear head, I managed to uh, managed to wangle it and stick to my normal difficulty that I've now played through the entire series on. Uh, Josh, I reckon you probably played this nearer the time because um, um, you would have been gagging for it. Uh, no? Well, uh, Hearts of Stone, um, I took a while to get to after launch, oh, but Blood okay. and Wine, based on the strength of uh, Hearts of Stone, Blood and Wine was day one. 
Yeah, right. Okay, and uh, and you were we'll, we'll talk about uh, Hearts of Stone, but you were moved enough by the story to write an article for the for the blog about the the antagonist. So uh, that's cool. So Mike, um, did you were you there from the start with The Witcher Three, and did you play the DLC contemporaneously, or did you come back to it later on? I I played it as it came. Yeah. So with The Witcher Three, I you know in, in the in the position I was in, I I got to see it before it came out and was playing it on debug and things. Awesome. Uh, played it for about sixty hours or so. There had to give that copy back so i played it again from the start you know and through to the end so after racking up whatever that was you know mm. uh, g- getting on for uh, well yeah yeah over, well over 100 hours um yeah. the dlc was kind of a no-brainer and i can't remember if it was one that i paid for whether it was one that you know the the publisher the pr was like well you know here's your season pass code i, I can't actually remember but um yeah they, they were effectively day oneers for me as soon as they were downloaded onto onto the playstation um i was straight on there you know mainlining through till 3 4 a.m uh whatever it took to kind of you know creep forward through the quests and you know you think oh i'll just come to a nice convenient point to finish but that convenient point never comes yeah yeah i've even been finding that right this evening because now i've done almost everything in the game mm-hmm. and i mean the entire game bar gwent and fisticuffs <laughs> and horse races so i'm now just going from point to point on the map uh, sort of darkening out icons by going to places uh, and that's after 140 something hours so yeah that's the kind of uh, grip this game has the power to exercise even once the story's over for those of us who do just like uh, gadding about in in picturesque open worlds anyway hearts of stone came out uh, in october 2015 so about five months after the original game launch um it was reviewed strongly around 90 percent averages uh, imdb users like it even more with a 9.6 out of 10 rating from those punters there uh it's uh billed sort of as an all new 10 hour plus adventure into the wilds of no man's land the nooks and alleys of oxenfurt uh trying to complete a contract from the mysterious man of glass caught in a thick tangle of deceit Garrett will need all his cunning and strength to solve the mystery and emerge unscathed uh embroiled in the mysterious relationship between an immortal troubled nobleman and a seemingly harmless merchant uh ashman 86 from our forum says hearts of stone begins with a seemingly rote witcher contract in which the player is tasked with slaying an amphibian monster dwelling in the sewers below oxenfurt as you work your way into the beast's lair joined by none other than shani from the first witcher and the book series you come across the corpses of would-be brides who had met their ends in search of a frog prince and of course when at last you've gutted the grotesque thing you learn that the monster was indeed a cursed prince and killing him means that Geralt has committed a grave offence uh so one one of the things uh, I was first aware of when I started playing this game because I read Josh's article about Gauntro Dim uh, when when we put it on the blog some years back was that you actually meet Gautreau Dim at the start of the vanilla game. Now, was that always the case or did they add that in when the DLC arrived? No, that was always the case. He's He's there for everyone, regardless of whether you've downloaded the DLC or not. Nice. That's cool. Okay. Uh, and so played by Alex Norton, uh, who is a uh, British character obviously we're, we're talking when we talk about the uh, the voice actors we're talking about the uh, english localization uh, i know that some people swear by the polish language version and uh, absolutely that's fantastic and uh, i assume you can play it 
with the Polish voices on, and certainly on the PC version you can. Don't about on the console versions, um, so there is that option. Some people say that the you know the acting is is more authentic and even superior. But I think that uh, Scottish actor Alex Norton here, who you may have seen in uh, Braveheart or Patriot Games, um, does a fantastic job with this sort of uh, understated but malevolent character. I mean, Gauntrow Dim is my favourite character in The Witcher Three. Um, and that when you actually kind of talk about the character on paper, um, and I feel the need to give a spoiler warning now because Hearts of Stone really isn't a game that you want uh, spoiled at all. Um, you slowly realise that Gauntro Dim isn't just a merchant; he's he's the devil himself. The game never outright pretty much. Yeah, uh, the the game never outright uh, confirms this, but like it, it, the, the mounting evidence becomes hard to deny. And um, the thing, like when whenever you think of the devil, like in in media, the it, the depictions tend, to, apart from uh, you know a few exceptions, the depictions tend to be you know all aligned with a very kind of stereotypical vision of this you know malevolent evil kind of the darkest shade of black and what i love about gontro dim is that yes he's he's evil his actions are absolutely you know morally bad what have you but he's not played like a sauron or a voldemort he's played like a lone shark and it makes him much more fascinating and interesting than the main antagonists of the Wild Hunt. Even though, in many ways, like I think, like when you examine the Wild Hunt's motivations, they're trying to escape their world for, as it, you know, it's being uh, destroyed by the frost. Um, you could argue that their motivations are more sympathetic, but Gontro Dim's just so charismatic and appealing and. He he just has this like Alex Norton is kind of absolutely having fun with this character. Like he his performance is delicious, and he's just like enjoying every word that comes out of his mouth. And um, yeah, he's he's ended up being like just one of my favorite video game characters. Full stop. Mm. See, I I kind of find it interesting that you say that. Um, that um, depictions of the devil are usually more direct than this, because I think that that's absolutely the case in kind of older literature, more classical things, which would be the case for the setting of The Witcher 3. But the fact that it is coming through in a more modern format in a video game, I think that that is something that is very much a modern thing. Like, I, I think that a lot of popular media kind of goes with the, not quite the banality of evil trope, but this guy is just wrong. There's just something wrong. I, I did not actually remember that you met, uh, that you met Gontaro Dim in, in the very beginning of the game until I, I think that's just a, a function of having played so many hours of the game in yeah. between uh, now and then. But I, I, I think that even before I really knew kind of what he was there was always just kind of the i don't like this guy there's something hmm. that's bad there's something that's wrong i kind of when i i think that i probably put in our slack channel at some point when do i get to kill this guy not exactly realizing kind of the the import that that would have had 
at the time. Ha. But um, yeah, yeah, it. Um, I I like that because it's not as it it is in your face because he's clearly you know he he is clearly an evil character. He is clearly you know not a force for good, but also at the same time. As as Josh is saying, it's not that that kind of medieval trope of he has horns and a pitchfork and he is running around cursing all of the souls to hell. It, it's it's more complicated than that. Mike, uh, you a fan of this sort of Louis Cipher type of uh, incarnation of the devil in in fiction generally? Um, well, I certainly like Mister O'Dim. Yeah, it's weird. Like, it is as as much time as I've kind of spent with the game, and then and then reading about the game, and watching videos about the game, and and dropping back into it actually uh, of of late, just to kind of confirm various biases and to see what I thought. You know, mm. the the it's not the devil so much that comes to mind, but certainly some kind of you know mysterious miscreant who can travel between dimensions. Because there's a lot of that that happens in the Witcher, of course. Siri in the, in the vanilla game, you know, she's lost between dimensions, and there's the elves in their dimension. And I think that this that, that Gauntro Dim is 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 a being of that of that kind of style. You know, he it she wherever you know he emerges, you know, is maybe a trans-dimensional being um mm-hmm. i mean you know gone to odim god you know g-o-d yeah. it's it's kind of there staring you in the face and then as well as the white orchard um scene in the first game of course you've got this this you know when you do watch it back when you watch the videos and people have spotted the little things he's in various other scenes as well there he is in oh, the background brilliant. so he's he's keeping an eye on you there's the bit at the auction house in hearts of stone where like he's just in the background and his head turns to face the camera. <laughs> um, and it, those little details, like the way that he was set up from the start. And I don't think he's in the original fiction. I think he's game exclusive. I, someone will probably um, tell me otherwise. I haven't read all of the, all of the Sapowski books or anything mm-hmm. um, that the Witcher is based on, but I, I love that he's this. Yeah. He's certainly devilish. Uh, and yeah, uh, there are, I mean, Kirk McKean wrote a really good piece on him for Eurogamer um, a couple of, well, around the time of Hearts of Stone coming out, I, I think, mm-hmm. or not long afterwards. And there was a lot of stuff in that about his influences and everything from kind of Polish folklore, like so, so you know, where CD Projekt Red is through to Stephen King and other things going on in there. Mm-hmm. Um and and yeah, the, but the the way that the the characters or the supporting cast in the game, you know, that the kind of NPCs around you, whenever he does something, they will remark something about the devil just yes. after he's performed whatever kind of action is after he's frozen. A fly in time, the soup. The for fly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What the devil is a fly in my soup, and you know those little touch it touches, and you look back and they go, ah, oh, you. You, you glorious fiends, you, you, you narrative <laughs> yeah. designers, you, you know, you, you, you've done one on us there because, you know, and I, you know, we've already said spoilers, so I think it's okay. But yes, it, it's, absolutely. O- it's only right at the end of Hearts of Stone where you kind of see Odim for what he may or may not really be, or maybe that's just Geralt's, you know, Geralt's mind like presenting to Geralt what he now thinks Odim is. Mm. I, I don't know. I, I love the kind of the flexibility of what that character can be to different people. I mean, you know, at, at, at the very core of it, although he is a, a, a uh, mischievous devilish figure who will go out of his way to ensure that the deals he makes with people uh, are, are very, very well weighted in his, uh, in his direction. You know, he is going to win out on that. And if he's, if, if he wants, you know, if he's make a, made a bet with you, a deal with you. And, you know, if you, fail to go through with it that's your you know your soul belongs to him you know he's going to make it so that that's that's the case which is what we obviously we see that with um 
at the end of uh, Hearts of Stone, which we can get to in a bit, I'm sure, with Von Everick. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and of course, yeah. I mean, this is this is the the, the devil not being a horned, uh, you know, beast with cloven hooves and a trident is mm. uh, is a commonly used thing in Angel Heart, the Witches of Eastwick, and yeah, uh, Red Dead Redemption has one. Of course, we talked about that in our Red Dead Redemption podcast many years ago. There's a man in black who turns up in that, and um, but the actual story, uh, as with Angel Heart, the Alan Parker film. Um, is based on the well it's, there's the the german version of the tale which is the the faust the faustian pact um but there's a polish incarnation of that apparently called uh Pantwardowski, uh which uh tells a very similar story uh which obviously you know makes sense as as with all sort of um religious iconography it, it makes perfect sense where these sort of ideas come from but um but yeah, there's something I think there's something always quite chilling about uh, the invocation of that. And similarly to also some of those other stories you mentioned, uh, Olgierd von Everek there, who is the tragic, somewhat awful, but in some ways sympathetic character who has sold his soul to the devil, basically. Um, Tadinho from the forum says a lot of praise has been leveled at Gauntrodim already. And I can only echo that despite not being a physical threat at any point, he is without doubt the most intimidating villain the series has ever had, while at the same time being really compelling every time he was on screen i just wanted to see more of him i really liked his calm and unassuming personality which was a great juxtaposition to his sinister nature olgierd von everek is in some ways the opposite he's the loud boisterous warrior but on the inside is a broken man in fact the story is really more about him than anything else so feelings for olgierd i i think olgierd is such a brilliantly drawn character um we were talking about the influences on this story and i think um you know the, the hearts of stone is a great example of you know great writing is in the nuances rather than the broad strokes because it would be easy to just look at the the kind of blueprints for this narrative and go well yeah it's just faust like we've seen this story a thousand times but like it's through the the way that they use the challenge to characterize um Olgierd von Everick that I think uh, Hearts of Stone really shines every single mission um that you're sent out to perform kind of helps you understand who this man is the kind of sins that he's committed and he's a terrible person like i i mm. i think um you have more evidence um of you know von everick being a bad you, you know person than you do even Gauntro Dim and Gauntro Dim is meant to be you know evil incarnate but yet you you witness the things that Von Everick has done in the pursuit of his his ego and the pursuit of this kind of image he has of himself and yeah but yet at the same time like I, I felt the need to save him, and a credit to the uh, the voice actor Paul uh, Fawn, Fawnley. Um, mm -hmm. Like that, that, that again. Like the two actors, the two main events in this, Alex Norton and Paul, um, they both put in some like fantastic performances and managed to humanize characters that are inhuman in a lot of ways. Yeah, Paul Thornley had uh, done lots of work in things like, uh, obviously I'm unaware or less aware of his stage work, not having the uh, the theatre 
internet theatre database to hand, but uh, he was, uh, you know, appearing in uh, on TV in things like uh, Doctors and Holby and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, more recently, he's appeared in The Crown, which is obviously a highly rated uh, drama, and that's post-Witcher 3, so good stuff. Uh, Paul Thornley. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm sort of going to cut to the... I'm not stopping a- anyone speaking on any of the events in between, but I just want to talk about the, the end of the story from my point of view, because I know it can go one of two ways. Um, but Olgierd never did enough for me to to want me to try to save him from his pact with the devil. So I understand that once again, uh, I got the bad ending, as I seem to do in a lot of these games. Um, because when it gave me the option to uh, to intervene with uh, Odim's uh, reclamation of this man's soul, I just went, no, I've, you know, that's what, I've, that's, that's what you hired me for. Here you go. So... Am I evil, <laughs> guys? I think that's a completely valid way to uh, to see it. I, I, the way that I played Geralt through the entirety of the base game, as well as through both DLCs, was that yes, he's going to adhere to his contracts, but also he has a conscience, uh, and he he does have feelings even though he's not really supposed to and I I don't know whether that's just me projecting things on the character that weren't actually there or whether I was just reading him differently but I I did not think that uh Geralt getting involved with this situation on the level of attempting to intervene would be all that unusual and maybe that's just because I really did not like well I mean I did not like Gontro Dim, and that's not me saying that I didn't like the character, because the character is fantastic. It's me saying I didn't like him. Also, it seemed like suicide. You yeah, know, well, I've seen this guy controlling time and uh, killing people by freezing time and then sticking a spoon in their eye. And it Yeah, just, but Geralt's also one for a really good challenge. Like, you think he's going to back down just because it's the devil? So what? Uh, yeah, and I know it's obviously <laughs> the, the seeds have been sown that you can enter mm-hmm. into a uh, into a sort of a battle of wits with him. Yeah. Uh, and and I believe I that's how it plays out. Okay, yes. right. Um, Mike, sorry, you were going to say something about Olgierd and, and your relationship with um, him as Geralt? Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, you kind of Geralt leaving him to Odim is perhaps more faithfully Witcher than than the yeah. player controlled version of it. I, I, you know, I would I would think that certainly in in some of the Sapowski fiction, it would have been, yeah, no, that's that's what you mm-hmm. get. Sorry, you you've brought this upon yourself. Um, yeah. I, however, did. Yeah, I intervened, and like you say, it, it was. That I don't know. I didn't really take to Von Everett necessarily. I kept on being very distracted mm. because from certain angles he looks a lot like David Beckham kind of <laughs> dressed, dressed up for Braveheart or something. There was something... If you look at his face now, there's a couple... There's another character like that. When I was playing the vanilla game, um, one of Dijkstra's thugs looks like Vinnie Jones, uh, the old ah. Wimbledon player. So there was... There was oh, I don't know. You know, Game designers have only got so much to go on, I suppose, for for these kind of inspirations. But yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of found like there was a slightly sympathetic edge to the story of, you know, the, the way that he'd made this deal, but through, kind of through because of that he he'd like lost contact with his wife and like the tragedy that is his wife and uh whose name is Iris and of course then 
well, well, not of course, it depends on your decision, but like if you let him live and, and you solve Odim's kind of puzzle at the end, which which again, I think is great because you're fighting an end boss where you're not fighting him. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're, you're <laughs> you know, outwitting him. And that's, that's kind of cool. Um, it's not just like a, you know, hammer X to win situation. I mean, there is a timer and it's, you know, there is some pressure, but it's, it, it kind of guides you there enough, you know, Geralt kind of says, ah, I need to do this. And then you're like, okay, well, I can find where that is and, and, and whatnot. But, but yeah, that he eventually gives you a sword and his sword is Iris. So there's a bit of him that remembers his wife and he's carried this sword around and, you know, it's named after her. And, you know, one of the things like we, we talked about the, the quest you do for, for Von Everick and it's kind of his three wishes. And one of them is to, you know, retrieve a flower that he, he gave to his wife many, many mm. years ago. So there, there is something in him that's still quite endearing but um you know he's a lot more than the what initially appears to be just some kind of you know to use the game of thrones comparison of which which runs throughout the fictions you know yes. back 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 to the books even um you know there's a little bit of the Bonde- uh, beric dondarian isn't it about him you know the kind of immortal rah 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 off we go we're a band and we're doing this um yeah th- he he became more three dimensional, and the comment about you know the game being as as much or if not more about him than Odim, I think is kind of on the head really. You know, it's it it is von Emmerich von Everick's story, and 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 Geralt is doing what he can to kind of you know get himself out of trouble because you know he he he's already in a pickle really because yeah. he he's been bailed out. You know, we didn't mention that, but the way he 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 meets Odim in this DLC is. You know, Geralt is being—he's being imprisoned. He's—he's he's going off somewhere. He's on a boat, and Odin yeah. bails him out, and that's why Geralt walks around with that—that that scar on his face. He has an extra scar on his face for the length of Hearts of Stone. He—he um, he definitely uh, is the kind of um, narrative core for me, and 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 you've got Odin as this 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 ever present threat, though. <laughs> who's yeah. who? You yeah. know, the more you learn about him, the more you worry. Turning up at weddings. Yes. I think the thing that I love about Hearts of Stone is that both ending, like you said, good ending, bad ending. I think both endings are really satisfying. And it's because like, you know, as Geralt, your your kind of role in in this story is you've been tasked with being judge and jury of Von Everick's life. And that kind of final question is asking you as the player do you have faith that this man can turn it around or do you have no faith and either answer mm. is fascinating um i like personally i prefer the say von everick uh, ending just because that final encounter with uh, gauntro dim is one of the most clever executions of a uh, final boss fight that i've encountered mm. in a game because like you've already demonstrated that Gontro Dim is this all-powerful being that can control time and space. What better way to diminish that and completely ruin any threat that he has <laughs> than Geralt kind of slashing him with a sword? How many games? How many video games yeah. have gone down that road though? And um, yeah. yeah, well done to CD Projekt Red well, for not can doing be that. Of course, that, they, that CD Projekt Red does exactly that in the in ending. the next game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in the, ending in the of next the second part. DLC. But yes. But then he's meant to be a high vampire rather than the devil incarnate. True, so it's, true. you know, it's sort of forgivable. Well, but we'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I really, I liked Von Everick as a character. Um, I, and I I felt very sympathetic towards him, even though he was clearly an awful person. And it kind of doesn't seem like 
it, it seems like I'm kind of in the minority there, it, I, which is kind of... I, I, you did I think not cut the Bloody Baron the same amount of slack. No, I really didn't. Uh-uh. No. So um, I'm not sure what the difference was. Um, and that is that is something uh, that... that uh, I had not actually considered charisma previously. goes a long way, doesn't it? I, I suppose that it does, um, mm. but I, because I, I again, I did not feel that he was good and it was being wronged in any way, but I felt more compelled to help him and not just stick a sword through him than I did with, say, the Bloody Baron. I think I know what the difference is. Actually, um, I mm. think with the with the Bloody Baron, it's there's no question that it's all his fault. There's no lingering doubt in your mind that he is entirely responsible for the horrible situation he's in. Uh-huh. But with Von Everick, there's always that, well, would he have done that if if he had, you know, made this wish? Would he be as terrible a person as he as he is if he didn't have the, that heart of stone that kind of deadened him to the world and and people around him would could he have been a better person and and that's that's what's so fascinating about this scenario is because you when when you take that kind of option to challenge Gontro Dim and you're on that kind of that you're in the temple of Vilvani and and um, von Everick's looking back on his life and he's like my life is a ruin and it doesn't answer it never answers the question um, you know whether or not he's going to go out into the world and be a better person. It kind of leaves it ambiguous. You hope, you hope that he's going to, you know, turn it around and turn a new leaf. But there's there's also the the chance that he'll just go back into his bad habits and start doing exactly what he was doing sure. before. But yeah, that doubt is key. I think. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And and connected to that, I also think that it helps that with the Bloody Baron, you you hear about kind of the, the background and you hear what he has done and kind of what the situation was. But it's expanded with Von Everick. Like you you see, albeit in, you know, a... a kind of illusory state you you see his wife you see the situation play out actually before you and you see that that whole thing was not perfect that it wasn't just him abusing his wife or it wasn't just him you know making these terrible decisions it was that for sure but it wasn't the the other side wasn't exactly blameless either and it's it's more front and center than it was with uh, with the bloody baron did you all play the game in this in the way that you you know uh, react to what's happening and play that way out and then just uh, stick with that or are any of you the kind of people who reload saves and see which one you prefer or do you do immediately go to YouTube and check out what, what oh, would no. have happened or anything I like that? I never reload saves, no. My decisions no. are my decisions. I did the same sure. thing with Mass Effect. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same here. I mean, being able to start the vanilla game all over again i did play a bit differently uh, of but, course, uh, but, yeah. I, but i haven't um done so with the, the dlc at all i've just done it done them both in one hit right i have gone back and looked to so say like when we talked about you know the fate of von everick you know I, I you know i got the sword i got the sunset ending and stuff but i also know mm. that you know he can just be reduced to a skull you know dim's yep. hand <laughs> uh, which is which is lovely a little bit of hamlet at the end you know, kind of thing it's all it's uh, it, so yeah I, I like to look into these things and of course because of the job it, it pays you, you kind of spoil a lot of things for yourself uh, when when you yeah. like uh, you know commissioning stuff on video games but it, but it's important to be aware of these things just so you can 
fact check yeah. them and stuff so yeah uh editing yeah. is a is a is a dangerous game but, yes um, in terms <laughs> yeah, of spoilers yeah. for yourself but um but yeah i, I you know I, i've watched a a lot of this stuff on youtube i just like to be i kind of like really fell for the world but you know a few years ago hence getting into the books and why i'm thinking the netflix yeah. series uh could be could be a very good move for for this fiction um so so yeah the kind of more i knew about it the more i knew about the different paths uh it's good it, it kind of and it, and it makes you better appreciate that like you know the 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 efforts that the that cd project red cd project red went to to give your path you know make it a fulfilling journey it's not just these are trivial things and at the end it's kind of the same i know that hearts of stone is kind of like here are two endings really but you know how you get there can be very different and and as we'll discuss with 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 blood and wine you know there's 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 even more to it in blood and wine there's a lot of what, lot of what different ways that can play out yeah uh so josh you uh went down the 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 puzzle route um now uh i don't yeah i don't think we need to sort of read out the riddle and and solve it for people even though we are in in spoiler territory so so anything's fine but uh one of the other things i i noticed uh from my research is that this is another uh situation that i well i'd actually seen it in blood and wine later where you meet a character who isn't the big bad the 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 ultimate antagonist, the final boss, but uh, a a character that you need to, or in one path you need to interact with to go forward. There's a point where you can take a bad dialogue choice and he just kills you, like instant, insta-death. He just, like, one hits you. There is nothing you can do. It's completely pre, pre-ordained. Um, and I think that's true of this fight with Gondro Dim. If you get it wrong, you die. Is that is it that simple? Um, so you're on a timer, um, and yeah. you, you have the riddle and basically you have until the timer runs out to figure it out. So it's not one of those situations where you make a choice and then you're instantly dead. You no. know you know when death is coming. Um, very, it, it becomes, once that clock starts ticking down and if you're not anywhere near like uh, constructing that uh, reflective pool, then yeah, you're dead and you have to do the whole thing again. However, like I, I personally didn't find that frustrating, um, just because it kind of mm-hmm. fed into the power of Gontero Dim. Like the moment he appears, you are dead, and that felt like that's appropriate for that character. But also, it it's I feel like it's designed to you know to go through like twice, like because the first time um, you're you're just. Because once you realise that it's reflection and you see those mirrors, um, I don't know if you t- uh, you guys did the same, um, those who took this path, but I was convinced that I ha- there was a mirror that wouldn't shatter. I kept going after these mirrors thinking they wouldn't, that one of them wouldn't shatter, and I completely ignored the, uh, the pool that was in the middle of the, ah. the thing. The timer ran out, and that second run was when I was like, right, there's obviously a subversion here. So, yeah, I, I didn't mind the instant death because it allowed me to think yeah. about the riddle a bit more uh, thoroughly. I had a, um, a very similar uh, experience to uh, to Josh's, actually, because I, um, I I clocked the riddle right off. Like, I, I heard the riddle, I figured that part out, uh, and then... I didn't quite realize how exactly things were going to work. So I, if you go up to other things in the environment on your way to where all of the mirrors are and the reflective pool is, then it 
it does waste a significant amount of time and you can kind of just peek around and see what they have to say, but it's, it's not to your benefit to do so, but they, you will see some things along your way. So I wasn't really hustling because I was kind of figuring, ah, well, I'm sure I'll have plenty of time. And then I uh, was kind of looking at some of the mirrors. I, I did make it to the end and I'm thinking, oh gosh, there's, there's a lot of mirrors here. I don't quite know what I'm going to do. And then I, I did uh, also die that, that first time. And then the second time I didn't need to check out the side things anymore. So I just kind of booked it for that end area and, uh, and lucked into finding the reflecting pool the, on my second run. But, um, yeah, no, I, I agree that I don't believe it was frustrating in that way. Um, but it, it, it was, um, it, I, it, it was better than having a, uh, an all out fight. I, I do definitely agree with that. Mm. And we should probably mention, although we don't have to time, time to go into every single uh, side quest and submission, but uh, I was pleasantly surprised to find myself involved in a GTA Five style uh, heist, getting a crew together uh, to to uh, to break into an auction house on the way there. Um, my only disappointment was that after painstakingly picking my uh, crew from, uh, so is six characters you get to choose one one of two in each case so it's it's a little bit binary but obviously you can understand why i very much decided who i thought my uh my my best guys would be uh and i accidentally ended up talking to the the uh explosives dwarf um because i'd ended up i was i meant to be seeing the other guy but i followed the wrong quest marker you know as you, as you do sometimes went to sp went to speak to uh to save cracking or explosives expert dwarf um but ended up uh, speaking to him so appallingly that he blew himself up anyway so that was, <laughs> that solved that problem uh but then then my my heist went horribly wrong very quickly anyway is that just how it goes down regardless or did i goof um you can definitely get to the end and then everyone kind of turns on each other yeah um, yeah that, that i mean i i've only watched this back lately i i, I, I haven't played through it again recently that particular sure. bit but yeah i mean i because there's a I want, I want to say there's a circus performer as well who, who can yes. like get up the side of buildings and whatnot yeah. and and yeah i i remember Gymnastic you get to the, to the big room and you've got the owner of the auction house and there's mm. there's some beef going on there between uh i guess the human in your party black black clothes fella and yes. he get into a little bit of an argument and then there's yeah this kind of power play going on i think you, you take can, sides you can, and, yeah you yeah. can side with the owner if you want and and it can all erupt into well quite literally yes. into into flames and everything and as you have to fight your own people so yeah right. i mean it, it, it is it is that is a kind of a wonderful you know the, the kind of getting the gang together thing is great uh and it's almost in in a way reminiscent of the later witcher books like i've been reading lady of the lake and that's that's kind of right, right. here is Geralt and his gang uh which includes mm. regis uh who we'll get to in the next part yeah. as well um so it's nice to see him back um you know there's a little bit like oh here's Geralt with with a crew and a lot of the books have that going on uh and the game doesn't really deliver that so to see that that was cool and then to see them all have very different opinions very violently uh you know fatal opinions at the end was um was kind of it's kind of good in a way and it, it helps you know wrap up the problem of like oh i wonder what they're doing now later in the game well we don't have to worry about that because they're they're toast uh they're gone <laughs> so uh, but yeah i mean I, for me anyway it will yeah it kind of went a bit um a bit tits up for want of a better word yeah 
Uh, Mauricio MM from the Cane and Rinse forum says, Gameplay-wise, Hearts of Stone offered barely enough to earn the expansion label. The lovely rural area of Gustfields, located north of Novigrad and Oxenfurt, was geographically extended by just a little compared to the whole size of Velen, with the notable addition of Miller's Lake and its charming surroundings. A few secondary quests were added. Only three new types of common enemies were introduced. Boars, Fallen Knights of the Flaming Rose and Arachnomorphs. These last ones are excellent AI, by the way. Equipment enchanting was also introduced, but apart from two or three useful rune words and glyph words, it didn't exactly blow my socks off, and the new armors and swords were barely better than the top ones in the base game. However, this was counterbalanced by some of, if not the best boss battles in the whole game, particularly the optional duel against the intriguing Ogiad von Everek and the battle against the Caretaker, several great new tunes, the inclusion of lore and some characters from the Middle Eastern-inspired land of Ophir, the very nice cameo of Shani, one of Geralt's past love interests, a truly amazing storyline told through very thrilling quests, some of the best and most memorable in all the games, and new deeply interesting characters including the smartest, most intimidating, most mysterious, best written and best performed villain in the whole saga, Gauntor Odim. And let's not forget about Olgierd and Iris von Everek, the protagonists of one of the most heartbreaking love tragedies in the game, as soul-wrenching as the Strenger family storyline, I would say. Uh, I can't actually remember uh, because I wasn't keeping on top of it and I've only, well, I've played the entire Witcher series this year for the show. Uh, I can't remember how much Hearts of Stone was, like, how much it cost then. I mean, I guess it's, like, literally a few quid now and you can buy the whole thing for, like, 15 quid anyway. So, um, but it's got about, uh, it's got about 17, 18, 19 sort of contracts, treasure hunts and side quests, plus about 10 hours of story. So I'm going to say whatever they were charging, it probably wasn't over the top. I- doubt it was any more than 10 and then uh, 20 dollars uh, yeah i think so. it yeah i think it was I, I, I think it was like maybe 30 pound for both wasn't it something like that in, in yeah English exactly money. It, it, it was yeah. you know which is like you know i think maybe it was 10 and then it was 20 or something but um yeah but yeah i mean you talk about the prices there i mean i, I saw it come up as on the latest bunch of steam sales yeah i think it was about 14 pound for everything or something insane. ridiculous like that. i mean it's yeah you know, and, and and fair enough. You know, it sold enough copies to uh, to have earned the uh, the ability to give itself away practically. But I mean, if you've yeah, what a bargain that is. I mean, if I could do it yeah. all over again, goodness me, I'd yeah. be all over that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, there's an optional uh, unique romance in this part of the story is that right i don't think i pursued this or was aware of it or possibly i did and i'm such a (laughs) slag i forgot all about it i found it accidentally Um, okay i I was being very so my proper playthrough i was being very pro yennefer yes uh, you know and which which kind of you know follows the the books a little bit you know these are the the star-crossed lovers or, or you know and they're both kind of horrible people deep down but they sort of complement each other um but yeah so so shani is back she was in the first game she pops up in the books um spoiler um yeah oh, no, no course, I'm, I'm not i'm not i'm not gonna yeah. say no no, no it's I, fine. I nearly, i'm um, nearly gonna spoil the books i'm not gonna do that oh but, yeah um, good call i, I shall yeah. sure refrain from doing that but uh yeah she she pops up she is a character you find her in the sewers uh there was talk of the giant toad frog thing earlier on and, yes and, and, yes and you find her there and the, one of the wishes the quests you have to do for von everick take uh, involves his brother who is a very dead man uh he was he died because of the deal that von everick made with with odim it was like okay well i'm gonna 
kill your brother or your wife and he's like well i love my wife and you know i love my brother too but you know that's the way it's going so you have to go show his brother a good time and that involves his brother possessing you you end up at this wedding you can you know press x to dance kind of stuff uh, at this wedding so so Geralt shakes his shakes his bootay uh, for a while and but Shani gets quite upset uh, so I can't remember the exact reason um, she's quite down at the wedding so you know I'm thinking okay I'm Geralt I'm her friend we've known each other a while I'll go over and comfort her. And mm-hmm. I pressed like, you know, oh, you know, don't worry. It'll be, it'll be okay or something. I and remember next, this now. Press X and, to comfort and ne- Charlie. And next thing, yeah, the <laughs> next thing I know, we're doing it in a boat in the middle of yeah. a lake. And I'm like, right. no, no, this is ruined by, by this is not what I wanted. You know, how, yeah. how can I back out of this? And there's no way of backing out of it, unfortunately. No, I um, totally did. I totally did do this as well. And yeah. um, and I totally yeah. had forgotten. But I, I think I seen the, I, I saw the cutscene some, like a couple of years ago on YouTube for some reason. <laughs> I wasn't just <laughs> looking up sexy cutscenes. Um, honest. See. Yeah. Um, and then, and I had a, you know, similar feelings of, um, like, am I, is this, um, and is this going to have a fallout effect it, on It me disappointed and... me enough to write about it. Like, like I, I yeah. felt that was a, a tonal misstep for a game that gives yeah. you so much freedom, but it's always quite clear about which way you're going for the most part, particularly mm. when it comes to those relationships that you want to, want Geralt to have. And this one kind of, it, it felt a little bit sprung. It was, it was very fan servicey, especially if you played the first game where you can, yes. you can romance Shani in that as well. This was well, like, I well, did. Yes. Right. And yeah, just so, a few months back. So yeah, yeah th- that was still fresh in my mind. She's she back. looks a lot better now, mind you. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the, the technology has been kind to her. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I wasn't really into that. Yeah. So when you comfort Shani, you, is this the one given... where she... You can end up puking in the yeah, boat. Yeah, I was going to of... say, yeah, like, yeah, if you yeah, bring yeah. her alcohol in the middle of intercourse, she will throw up over the yeah. boat, uh, <laughs> yes. stopping the session promptly. Um, so nothing yeah. like that has ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I might be the only one who did this, um, but I um... in the game, yeah. Oh gosh, yes. Um, my Geralt, um, he he pretty much just went after any uh, any lady that would have him. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, mm. I intentionally went for Shani, um, much as I intentionally went for every other lady in the base game. Um, yeah. yeah, which which hilariously backfires in uh, in Wild Hunt, but. Mm. Um, I liked her because I felt she was, uh, and I have not played the uh, the first game, um, mm. nor at this point have I read any of the uh, of the books. But I like that she is a character who is pretty able to kind of make her own way, uh, and she's you know she's a doctor she uh she has her own life and despite the fact that she has a past with Geralt that's not the thing that defines her so um yeah I and and yet I made that one of the things that defined her in my game so uh but uh yes I like Shani I'd be interested to know because one of the reasons I wanted to play these back to back was to see the fairly minimal hooks that were Mm -hmm. you know that jumped from save to save and that's why i played the whole trilogy and all the dlc on pc i wonder if there were any little nods in the dialogue that i got because i did have a romance with shani Mm -hmm. that had and i had carried the saves over from one game to another whether they'd put any little inkling Mm -hmm. there but it really would have been you know probably just like one line of dialogue acknowledging that there was there had been a 
a pass liaison there but I yeah it's hard to know that's the only thing about some of these hooks like the effort that they uh they would have to put in for the for the minimal payoff is um yeah well as as someone who did not play the the other games and who was playing it on console to boot I it I mean they they do kind of reference a yeah. past relationship anyway mm. so I I don't know what else they would have put in but that would have yeah. been interesting if that if that's something that they could do kind of again i'm going to reference mass effect a mass effect style you yes know, this is this is what happened in the prior games therefore well, you get this little bit of extra dialogue or this little extra scene there are little yeah. there are little bits of that throughout as i say i'm still Probably. sporting my horrific tattoos from that i got <laughs> in the second game so yeah Excellent. it uh yeah it it is possible and and i think in the console versions because uh they didn't have you couldn't bring the saves across although obviously there was the 360 version of Witcher 2 um but I don't think you could import the save into the Xbox one version of Witcher 3 because it wasn't even backwards compatible at first and there wasn't even backwards compatibility possibly at that point um you could do a thing where you basically sort of was it like pick choices or set sliders to suggest what you might have done in previous games something like that at the start of Witcher 3 I played the PS4 version and did not have that option well, there's mm-hmm. there's conversations you have the same, same if because I only played them on console. So at the start of Witcher Two, um, the special edition that came out for 360, you get to yeah. decide the past, which then informs what, what's right. in it. And of course, for the Witcher Three, so the first time I did it, I made certain choices, and uh, Letho was in my game from the second yes. game. When yeah. I played it again, I did I made a different choice, and he wasn't he wasn't in it. Like he had died, no. he was mm. gone. So, so there is that. Um, but I mean, there's nothing like that in the DLC. I, I remember there obviously being hints of a, a past between Shani and Geralt, but I don't think yeah. there was like a, an explicit, like, Oh, did you? Thing. Uh, you <laughs> that would have yes, been cool. No. Yeah. <laughs> but a step too far, maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, if it's Geralt, it's yes all the time, right? You know, it's just like, yeah, that's what, that's what you do. Apparently it yes. is. If Lee is playing, the, the yeah. man has uh, a wandering eye at the best of times. Yes, everything. Everybody's happy. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> For a while. Well, <laughs> there is that, yeah. Uh, Ashman86 from the Canarins Forum says, I could write a dozen posts on this expansion alone because there's so much to love. The wedding with Shani. That's not a wedding to Shani. It's a wedding with Shani where the thing happens. The Hollywood-esque heist, complete with montage cutscenes. The Silent Hills-like design of the caretaker in the graveyard. The way the game goes full-on horror once you hit the Von Everett Manor. And the list goes on. For brevity's sake, I'll focus on some of my favourite characters instead. We see the return of Gauntero Dim, a character who, seeming, who seemed perfectly harmless, if somewhat enigmatic, during the prologue of The Witcher 3's primary campaign, who reveals himself to be Master Mirror, a powerful and malevolent being, and one who I maintain is among the most competitive villains the series has to offer. His true nature is never really revealed even at the conclusion of the story, but the way he shows up randomly among the NPCs throughout Hearts of Stone's wedding chapter is utterly unnerving. And then we have the Von Everex. Ogier is nearly as compelling as Odim, but he's an altogether more tragic figure. He's charming and intellectual, but brutal and loathsome. I hated him for what he did to Iris, and my heart broke for her. I was all but ready to turn him over to Odim at the end of the quest, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. His is the Heart of Stone, the story's title references, and I took pity on him when the time came. I didn't. Right. (laughs) So from from the devil himself to vineyards and vampires and the 
even more expansive expansion of May 2016. So pretty much a year after the the vanilla base game came out, mm. uh, reviewed even ever so slightly better than the previous DLC with 91% from game rankings, 9.8 from over a thousand folks over on IMDb. And Tadinho from the forum says, while I think the story of Hearts of Stone is a great story as an expansion, I don't think it stands on its own. Blood and Wine, on the other hand, is almost the complete opposite. The expansion introduces not only a whole new region with tons to do, but it's also the best looking region out of the entire game. And it was not just the visuals, but the sound as well. The soundtrack here is superb. And once again, while I like the soundtrack in the main game, the music here is just on another level. What I liked the most about the region was the whole Don Quixote in reverse vibe. Very well established with the introduction to the region where a knight charges at a windmill only to see it smashed by a giant, with Geralt being the only sane person in this fantasy land. Gameplay wise it was not only very fun to explore but it also had some great side content though I still felt like there were too few too many side quests that felt like checklist say the wine wars questline the statue and some others but overall it was very good. The writing at the ending just took a nosedive and it felt really rushed and despite having a great final boss blood and wine just kind of ends in a way that's not very satisfying. Even the post credits where you can reunite with your love interest in Corvo Bianco was really underwhelming and a very flat note to go out on since this is maybe the last we'll see from the Witcher universe. That's Tadinho's opinion. Let's see if we agree. So this was a 30-hour, potentially, or more even, tale uh, in the region of Toussaint, which is kind of a weird hybrid of France and Scandinavia and other bits of continental Europe, uh, I guess. Uh, new monsters, armors, weapons, a new Gwent deck, if that's your bag. I uh, don't think any of us is into Gwent, unless Mike, Mike Gwent? Un- unfortunately not, no. It's, no. Uh, it, I, <laughs> Another I, four. I, yeah. I tried and I failed to get into Gwent. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same. Uh, armor dying, of course, uh, Obviously, a lot of people have got into this with uh, Breath of the Wild this year, but uh, you don't get thrown into a pit of uh, die, sadly, in in The Witcher 3. Uh, You get your very own vineyard. This reminded me of um, Assassin's Creed 2, going back to the... the place that you got to decorate and do up uh, in that. Uh, new gear and items, over 90 new quests, 40 new points of interest on the map. Uh, I think they also, uh, simultaneously with this, came some sort of tweaks to UI and general game behaviour as well. Uh, 14,000 new lines of dialogue compared to uh, Hearts of Stone, which had about 6,000. Uh, 100 new bits of armour, 20 new monsters, uh, game level to over 100. Uh, new abilities, uh, new uh, mutagen specking situation. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so there's a ton basically of stuff. Uh, and this is from patch one to 1.20 onwards. So any, uh, I assume there are a few people out there who played The Witcher 3 and didn't play Blood and Wine. But basically this kind of completes the package uh so again yeah like 20 quid or part of the season pass back in the day now the whole thing is available for uh a few buttons um yeah so i've played through this as i say in the last um yeah a couple of weeks or three weeks or something like that and uh yeah it, it is one seriously meaty bit of dlc yeah. um yeah i uh i think that this this could have stood on its own it's it's yeah. a very uh, a very substantial piece of of content and uh one that kind of just keeps going like i i finished it finished in air quotes but i 
I'm planning on going back because there's yeah. so much that I didn't actually do. And I, I, I found myself, and this is not something that I frequently do, but I found myself kind of not going for the fast travel points always when they were offered mm. because I just thought that Toussaint was so beautiful to run around in that I didn't mind kind of running on on my horse from place to place just to kind of see and to experience all of the uh, the, the scenery around me. I, I really liked the, the visuals of, of this particular uh, section of the game. Yeah, super pretty. For me, Blood and Wine is kind of the inverse of Hearts of Stone, where with with Hearts of Stone, I really, I just, I absolutely adore the main quest, the main storyline. I think it's absolutely exceptional. But the stuff outside of that is, you know, the side quests that they add and the additional mechanics are pretty forgettable. Whereas Blood and Wine, Tucson is a beautiful environment. I love exploring that area. Mm -hmm. The new city is amazing. I the the humor in many of the side quests is brilliant. I love that uh, painter who gets Geralt to pose, um, <laughs> and he creates these epic portraits of it. It's just very funny. Yeah, nearly um, nude, even when yeah. you weren't nearly <laughs> nude yet. And and the kind of battles between the vineyards and, and all of that stuff, the kind of political stuff, all of that stuff is fantastic. I don't think the main quest is nearly as exceptional as Hearts of Stone. I think there is some kind of awkward writing in there. It's still great. Like, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing on Blood and Wine's main quest too much because it's still great. But judged on the curve and uh, and a curve that includes Hearts of Stone, it's slightly mm -hmm. weaker. There's one instance, and this was brought up in uh, Super Bunny Hop's review of Blood and Wine as well. There's one instance where all the characters say, you have this many days until the attack on the city. Yeah. You have this <laughs> many days until... And then it goes to black and then you skip to the you know that many days in the future and the the city's being attacked and and it feels like there was content missing like it feels like <laughs> there should have been some quests where Geralt went out to try and prevent this attack and then like fair enough if if the quests kind of end for naught and you know nothing happens and then the attack you know the city attack happens anyway that's fine but to set up that kind of time limit and then to entirely skip it is not great yeah. writing is that the, hang on is that the point where she says where the dutch duchess says you've had a week and you've done nothing see i thought she was referring to the amount of time i'd spent in the game so far and i was like no nah, no nah, it's more than a week i've been i've been here for like a month at least <laughs> yeah. i've been spending most of my time just hanging around you know looking at cows and stuff so uh yeah. so that, that was slightly odd too i mean game yeah. you know that's video games stuff isn't it right there but yeah there was some there was some slight oddments um and dead dead laugh is 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 uh kind of step down from Gauntro Dim in, in terms of a villain. Um, they tried to go for a sympathetic angle, but like in the third act, he pretty much becomes uh, the darkest shade of black. Like any at any point where you had sympathy for the kind of um you know his feel you know his feeling of betrayal like he'd been you know manipulated what have you all of that goes away when he decides it's okay to massacre an entire city because yeah. of this one woman so like and there are moments that i really like um 
I really love the uh, mission where you go into um, oh, I've forgotten the the character's name uh, Sil- Sylvia Sylvia the sister. the Duchess's sister Sienna Sylvia Anna sorry yeah sorry uh, Sienna's um, kind of, she's created this kind of fantasy fable world that she went into as a child uh, so when you're when you make the decision to kind of either uh, kind of pursue this old vampire to try and find Detlaf or use her as kind of bait. Um, if you go, if you pursue um, her mm. instead, you enter this kind of imaginary world of fables. And that mission in isolation is one of my favorite missions um, in The Witcher 3. Like it's uh, this fantastic kind of satirical look at uh, at Disney-fied kind of legends and then kind of adding like mm. um, a bit of Witcher grimness to it. And that stuff is amazing. But yeah, overall, I don't think the story's quite as great. I must be nuts. I went to the to the vampire's cave. Uh, <laughs> Mike, how do you feel about Blood and Wine overall and, and the story uh, running through it? I, I think, yeah, that we, we've kind of hit upon it j- just with that last comment. You know, the, the central narrative of it doesn't feel as consistent and as strong as Hearts of Stone did. But there are these highlights, these these wonderful little asides that they're not well they're not quite asides, you know. They're not secondary quests all the time, but um mm. that that do elevate it still. There is the um it's the land of is it the land of a thousand fables or something I've forgotten now. Um that, that um Sienna and, and Anna both used to go into as children and that's where Sienna the sister mm. is now hiding out basically. Um and there's a situation towards the end where you can kind of exile her there rather than have her dealt with in a way that would probably be more appropriate since she's been, you know, plotting against her sister effectively. Yeah. Um, but there's also the uh, the white, the white, you know, the white with the spoons. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Who is, uh, Marlene, who you can you can save. So you know, she is she she is a monster, and she's in this house, and you know, you can kill her if you want and that's that that's a dead end um or you know you can save her you can lift the curse and when you lift the curse you can then choose to invite her to your vineyard and yeah. then she will work at your vineyard and live out her days there very happily and what i, I totally did that God, what... i feel awful that i didn't do that <laughs> i didn't know you could <laughs> i There's took maybe... the better option than leah for once, <laughs> yeah, for once. in the entire game <laughs> but it was it all kind of adds up i suppose to this you know which i guess is the point of it is, is a little bit of a witcher retirement party you know we're going to sew things up we're going to give yeah. Geralt his house, his business. Uh, we're going to fill it with the family he doesn't have. So here's this old lady. He's got this dude that looks after the house. Uh, at the end, I forget his name. BB Bar- Barnabas. Something. Barnabas, fantastic. He's a, he's a, he's great. You know, he's constantly wanting to put swords on the wall and whatnot. Bless him. Uh, hang my armor, Barnabas, please. Um, but and and of course, right at the end, depending on your decisions in The Witcher Three, you can be visited by someone and because I oh was yeah just so about... this can go wrong as well can't yeah. I, I gather <laughs> well yeah. because i was in, until my shiny mistake i was mm. very very yennefer like so mm. she came to stay with me and i, I thought that's yeah. very nice for my girl here he is in in the in the, the equivalent of the south of france uh you know hanging out making wine with his girlfriend well you know it's it sounds sounds pretty neat to me uh you know and i haven't ticked everything off the map so i can still take him off and he can go find a question mark when he wants to but yes otherwise same. he's all right yeah that's um, the thing though mm. it 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 does sound great but it doesn't sound like a witcher to me like i <laughs> i had the option at the end 
to you know when you're when you're having your discussion and and you're asked you know are you gonna go live at the vineyard or or what and my response was no I don't think so because I just don't feel like Geralt would be able to settle down like that Hmm. maybe that was just a function again of how I was no, I said the, the same thing. But yeah, I just, yeah. I, I can't see him having a happy ever after with whichever character you choose to have a relationship with, just staying there and making the wine. I mean, it, it, it's a great ending for someone else, but maybe not for Geralt to me. Yeah, I mean, I immediately went back out and uh, started ticking off the uh, the treasure hunts that I hadn't yeah. done. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> like, you know, yeah, I think it's the classic uh, adventurer's itch or whatever. As soon as he, he, he thinks, on, on one level, he thinks it would be nice to take some time off and let all those wounds heal and have some baths and some unicorn sex and whatever else. And then <laughs> uh, as soon as the that uh, wanderlust oh, oh, comes a-calling. You, you can literally ride a unicorn. <laughs> Ah, yes, it's not a real unicorn, though. Well, it's it's a fable unicorn, but it's it's real enough. It's, I I was yeah. I was very pleased that there were unicorns that you could actually ride. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, that joke that joke runs and runs. Um, <laughs> it's it, I mean, it's funny how you know I, I, there was a piece that I put together with a guy called Sam White who who does a lot of ah. games writing as well about we know Sam you know. White what you want for your Geralt. And I think when it got to that mm. point, when you're having that conversation with Regis at the end, you know, who, yeah. who's got a lot of serious history as well. He's, he's, you know, he's a vampire. He's brought, brought into the video game world for, for blood and wine, but he's, he's well known in the stories. Um, and in fact, it's, it's uh, Detlaf who is cast as his savior as well in this game. So you think, Oh, Detlaf is this kind of one dimensional villain or whatever, but hang on, he's brought one of Geralt's best friends back to life so that there's some, you know, very big gray areas there. But yeah, I, I wanted my Geralt to kind of settle down. And of course I do that with the knowledge that this is a video game and whatever decision I make <laughs> there, I'm still going to be able to jump on Roach and go to those places. I can go back to Skelliger and, you know, beat up a bear uh, or whatever it is yeah. I need to do, you know, uh, that, that'll all still exist. And, you know, regardless of whether or not he continues, you know, adventuring or, or what happens, you know, it, the, the fella took a bit of a beating in world hunt, didn't he? You know, he had his father, his father figure was, was, was wiped out, you know, depending on what your ending was, his daughter uh, yeah. is, is out of his life or, or isn't. And, you know, so maybe, maybe it's come, for him just to to chill out a bit you know yeah i can buy it um yeah we should again i think credit uh even if we're not so overly uh fond of the the narrative compared to some of the other parts i'd like to to credit the the acting um they got mayana Boring to play anna henrietta she's well you'll know her if you see her she's in the descent she's in kill list she's in ripper street um, she's a Swedish uh, actor. Antonia Bernath plays uh, sister who's been in Downton Abbey and Dickensian and, and things like this. Uh, and I loved Mark Noble as Regis, uh, not the West Ham midfielder. I don't think that would have uh, worked so well. Um, he's been in uh, some soaps like Coronation Street and Emmerdale, but also the Borgias. Uh, and DCI Banks as well, and the Tudors, uh, and the Holbys and the Bills. He's been in all of those things. Um, but I thought his his voice for Regis was just so, uh, so um, yeah, sort of warm and calming. It, it really, um, it sort of was a nice juxtaposition with actually this character's, you know, really it, a deadly vampire. Yeah, 
it made it all the more shocking because of how he was played in in, in um, Blood and Wine when Regis does turn, you know, yes. when he when he becomes the monster, and you're like, oh, oh, Blumenek, you know, <laughs> you're yeah. like this nice, cuddly, old, you know, reliable friend, and oh no, you are a vicious, uh, yeah, vampire. Um, but yeah, he's he was awesome great, male yeah. pattern baldness uh, going on with Regis <laughs> as well. Good hair, yeah. And uh, Andrew Greenoff plays uh, Detlaf as well, and I think does a good job again. Uh, known similar things, uh, the Holby and the Holly Oaks and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, but uh, but a good job. But but yes, I would agree. I think for me, Detlaf was a little bit too kind of um, stereotypical, kind of bad vampire baddie. Even though it turns out uh, that although he's doing the bad things, uh, he is not the uh, the creator of the machinations is it possible to uh, for the game to end without the uh what's what's the sisterly version of fratricide <laughs> um sister side uh is it is it possible so i'm in 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 my end game now i'm wandering around the uh the beautiful countryside with everyone weeping the loss of the duchess is it possible to avoid that at all? yeah i right. yeah anna henrietta is very much still in charge of, of, okay. my, of my Toussaint. um her sister is in the the land i, I want to say it's the land of a thousand fables someone can correct me um i think it's that um she was teleported off to there so okay. she's she's alive just unreachable and and yeah but i mean i, I am aware that there's an ending where both yeah. sisters can end up very very yep dead um but yeah, oh, yeah I, I, I got that I, ending too yeah that that never that didn't even seem to be an option for me i i, I don't know what i did prior but but it was hmm. always anna henrietta was kind of there all the way through uh which which is which is good in a way i i enjoyed her again she's someone who is more prominent in the books to see her come through in the same place as regis and then there's a strange point in in the game where you where dandelion pops up again you're like oh hello and in the books, like he is mm. Anna Henrietta's lover, so it's like okay, that makes sense. But yeah, it was it, it was yeah. nice to see like the you know that gang treated right. And I think if I don't know, maybe, maybe if she pegged it, it would have been a bit of like ah, oh, but that doesn't fit with this, and uh, it would have been you know problems to that effect. Yeah, I'm getting a few sort of mixed messages from the people of Toussaint now. Uh, <laughs> you know, some people are saying I'm the per the hero who killed the beast who was killing their knights off but then you've also got elements or uh, of um you know but you failed to <laughs> failed to stop the death of uh, of the beloved duchess so yeah uh, josh what what uh, how did your story play out do you remember i got the happiest ending that is possible <laughs> to get which yeah. makes a change from how the yeah. uh, wild hunt ended yeah mm. so both both sisters kind of get, embraced each other gave each other a hug and it was like oh. you know second chances and all that oh and uh tucson was uh, left in a good place like, i didn't even happy. know that was possible i mean they, it's sort they of... hugged each other in my game too but it didn't yeah. end well <laughs> no they, 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 uh, yeah if you're gonna hug your uh, your conspiratorial uh, vengeance bound sister make sure you're not wearing a sharp butterfly ha uh, hairpin is yeah. the, the yeah. takeaway from that yeah 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 uh, maybe don't yeah. wear knives in your hair just i'm just saying <laughs> just yeah generally idea. uh mauricio from the forum says blood and wine on the one hand couldn't possibly compete with the intelligently told carefully made an emotional story of hearts of stone and honestly it felt a little too fan servicey at times 
but on the other, it offered more gameplay improvements, more enemies, some very cool and even outlandish boss battles, the best equipment in the whole game, and many unique and interesting quests, more easter eggs, and quite a lot more comedy than Hearts of Stone. Plus the music, what an amazing soundtrack. They brought another composer, Piotr Musial, to collaborate with the other two talented composers that work on the base game score, and you can tell that this inclusion helped bring even more richness and personality to this beautiful soundtrack. Just listen to that mandolin, that hurdy and those vocals. On top of all that, CDPR chose in this expansion to bring to life what's, in my opinion, the most colourful, most peculiar, most gorgeous region from the books and the main selling point of the season pass for me, Toussaint. In the book series, this country was presented as a beautiful Renaissance-style Mediterranean-like setting, and it became a place for Geralt and his fellowship to temporarily rest their feet, a place, however, not without its problems, temptations and mysteries. I'm glad that not only did the game keep that laid-back, joyful and riveting atmosphere on this adaptation, but also that they added a respectable amount of content needed to make this place feel deep and alive, thanks in part to some of the most intriguing, most memorable and even funniest quests in the saga, like certain otherworldly mission in inspired by Shrek. <laughs> Plus, they brought back some characters from the books, one of them hugely unexpected but happy surprise, and gave them important roles in Blood and Wine's main quest. I just wish that the gameplay additions this expansion introduced, mutations, Corvo Bianco, armor dies, etc., were more meaningful and had more impact, but they were pretty cool nonetheless. Oh, and did you notice that a certain villain from the previous expansion had a hand in the sad fate of a Toussaintois creature? I didn't. No. Uh, assume assume that's Gauntero Dim, but I. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Whether it yeah, whether it's whether it's in a text somewhere because uh, you know I'd be lying if I said I read every single the, yeah, book and pamphlet. The words could it. be a thing. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't immediately remember anything in that, hmm. but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they were teasing. Absolutely. Um, I need to go well, Google it, it. Oh, wait, it's... wait. Sorry. Yeah, go on. Go on. I, I've just realized yeah, what there's it is. <laughs> a, there's a musical cue. So um, after uh... the uh, Spoons um, mm. spoons quest with right. the uh, thing, oh. the white, um, you're, Geralt's talking to his butler about what she went through, and then the Hearts of Stone music kicks in ah, over brilliant. that conversation, indicating that Gauntro Dim was the person who placed that curse. Because she, she she talks about turning away a a vagrant basically doesn't That's she right, and, and then yeah. like you know and he introduces himself at the start of uh, the wild, wild hunt, hunt I think as yeah. as effectively a vagrant as a as a drifter yeah. now so um, yeah it, it does tie back sorry I just I totally blanked when you mentioned that and then like That's oh yeah superb. spoons. Yes, yes, because, uh, yeah, we, well, we meant, we mentioned her there and, and it did seem like a harsh punishment for, you know, I mean, admittedly, you know, not a nice thing turning away a beggar, but like decades and decades of being this hideous hag was seemed, mm. yeah, perhaps di disproportionate. So I was happy enough to take her in. Uh, see, I, I can be nice. Uh, anyway, Mauricio uh, concludes... Uh, regarding that, that was an amazing cross-reference and an example of the type of small details the Witcher saga does best. I hope you didn't miss the spoonful of clues present in that creature's quest. I see what he did there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ashman86, also from the forum, says, Toussaint is easily one of my favourite environments in the entire series. The music, the colours, the atmosphere. It's a high, it's high fantasy with a witchery flair and it's marvellous. The story it tells is not quite as nuanced or as layered as Heart of Stones, but that isn't to say it lacks depth or complexity. Regis is a wonderful character and Detlaf, while a bit more two-dimensional than Olgierd, makes for a sympathetic villain who's neither 
really good nor evil. I'm a sucker, pun shamelessly intended, for a good vampire story, have ever been since the Legacy of Cain series, and I was originally disappointed by the lack of vampires in The Witcher 3. Blood and Wine makes up for that in full, and satisfyingly paints the picture of a macabre underworld living beneath the seemingly picturesque Beauclair. One of the most adrenaline-inducing moments of the expansion sees you storming a keep, with both Detlaf and Regis by your side as they dash from soldier to soldier, leaving pink clouds of gore behind them as they do awesome. But the highlights for me are still the side quests. The Land of a Thousand Fables, there you go Mike, with all its twisted fairy tales really stands out. I'm still creeped out thinking about Rapunzel having hanged herself by her own hair. As does the quest that forces Geralt to navigate the bureaucratic labyrinth that is the banking system. Meeting the lady in the lake again inducing uh, induced a pang of nostalgia for me, particularly when she returned Erendite to me. As a sword from the first game. Oh, and one of my personal favourites was the spoon collecting white in La Cage au Fou, whose house is littered with spoons. It manages to take a mundane, everyday object and make it feel terrifying. The way the spoons hanging from the trees clink together in the wind gave me chills, and if you had read the journals throughout the house, it's heavily implied that our own master mirror had a hand in the white's curse. There you go. In the end, Blood and Wine feels like a suitably epic capstone to Geralt of Rivia's journey. The final boss fight is weird, but pretty cool in a real bad acid trip kind of way. And I appreciate the chance to catch up my love interest or Siri or Dandelion if you make poor life choices outside Corvo Bianco. But I think the game's most successful and concluding moment is the one that Regis and Geralt share together once everything is said and done. One of the Witcher 3 strengths is in giving the player moments of quiet, melancholic reflection and and this one feels particularly poignant, not only because Regis reveals how serious of a transgression he's made by killing Detlef, but because you, the player, must come to realise that your own story in this world has come to its end. Oh, um, yeah, I, would, uh, I wanted to say because I, I, I went to see the, uh, the, the, the hidden secret senior vampire man in his cave, um, which is another character who, as I said earlier, can... Uh, take a dislike to your line of questioning and just kill you instantly in a cutscene to all intents and purposes but it was worth going there because I did find although not complete a set of armour which is so awesome if you remember the uh, the flawed but interesting um, in, in production design senses Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula from 1992 Gary Oldman's Vlad the Impaler wears this uh, astounding set of red armor which looks like it's made from internal organs uh, and you find a piece of armor which is obviously heavily inspired by that from uh, Vlad's kind of tomb sort of thing so mm. that is worth finding I only wish I'd found the trousers and the gloves to go with it <laughs> I assume they're in there somewhere and I don't know if I can go back but I might even research that because god damn it looks cool <laughs> I, I, I just looked it up Hen Gadith armor it's called right I, I, I missed that but yeah I can see what you're saying with the with the Dracula thing goodness that's yeah. uh that's a uh, leaving yeah good good work that does someone was having fun in the uh, art department Definitely. that day yeah. yeah and i ended up donning that so for the for the for the boss fight which we we did want to talk about the debt the debt left uh, portion of the fight and there's actually a, a chunk of um, epilogue story after this but the the final boss fight is uh, is very classically video gamey and actually for yeah. the first few times i attempted it i was just getting wiped straight away because i had the wrong specification i didn't have things invested in the right things you know my i was i was really appreciative of the extended options to um expanding your character and, and specking out your character in this game but uh i didn't have any of the um the new um wipe your experience 
uh, thing potion with me. I'd stored it all at the, at the at the place, so I ended up having to respec based on things that I'd already done. It was either that will go back to an old save, but actually I managed to respec based really basing it heavily around Quen, the shield spell sign, I should say. And I ended up once I'd done that, put on this new armor. Um, everything was was hunky dory really. Uh, there's one particular attack that Detlef does when he when he morphs into a a, a big beastie vampire where he shoots a load of bats at you and if that hits you no matter pretty much how shielded you are that'll take a, a chunk of damage but but uh if you run as far away in the arena as possible there it's quite dodgeable it, it just feels quite undodgeable at first but it is such a video gamey boss i think they i think it was quite deliberate after after the previous one because you know a lot of people are into that as well but um it didn't feel I, I was pleased when i did it in the end so it did have satisfaction i was glad it was challenging i played the entire saga all the way through on normal difficulty uh, but i've seen a video of somebody doing it on death march and Oof. not taking not taking damage so entirely entirely possible to do i i think for me the problem was it's not a sequence that leans into the Witcher's strengths as a, as a series, but, you know, specifically Witcher 3's strengths. Like, I like the combat in The Witcher 3, but I don't think it compares to something like Dark Souls or Bloodborne. No, no. And no, if this was yeah. a Bloodborne, you know, style boss fight, then, you know, hunky-dory, yeah, yes, please, that would be great. But mm. because we're, you know, we're dealing with Geralt's movement, which is, you know, slightly clunky, not terrible, but slightly clunky yeah and then agreed. you're dealing with this boss battle that just keeps spamming these these attacks which are avoidable and you can counter but they're just not very fun to avoid or to counter um so yeah it's a bit of an odd note to end this dlc on something that i will say is that um i felt that the difficulty level of both of the dlcs but of blood and wine in particular was fairly high compared to the main yeah. game. Um, yeah. Now, I was playing on easy, so I, I did not really have any difficulty um, no. just in general, but Didn't get stuck. even so, I did notice that spike kind of kind of happening, um, and I think that I probably would have had trouble with that final boss fight had I not done a, a pretty significant amount of side questing and of just kind of uh, wandering around and, you know, exploring the world. Uh, it... it um, yeah, it it definitely had um, more of a uh, potential to be a roadblock than a lot of the other things that uh, that you would encounter in the base game in general, and specifically, you know, just in in this mm. set of DLC. Mike, what sort of a player are you? Do you do you do you play on normal easy, or are you the kind I'm of crazy? I'm usually normal, usually normal. So um, for the Witcher experience, it's, it, it was it's been normal. It depends what yep. the, what type of game it is, you know, sure. and, and and what what a time I'm having. And I totally agree with the the DLC having a few spikes. Debt laugh being one of them, and we touched upon the caretaker from Hearts of Stone yeah. a couple of times. Now, now the caretaker for me is more memorable because yes. I got more stuck there. Um, right. I, that did okay. feel like a roadblock and I left that quest for a bit and I went and did some side things and then I came back. And, and also his mm. design, there was talk about, there was Silent Hills mentioned there. Um, yeah. And, you know, Dark Souls got mentioned there. Like the caretaker does have that very, like it is a bit from soft. So there's something going on with that character that I can think, oh, yeah, yeah. that, that, that kind of doesn't fit in the Witcher world and it, it's, it's horrible. You know, Detlaf, maybe because you knew him and he is 
you know, quote, just a vampire, right? He's, he's mean and, and whatever, but like, oh, here I am. I'm doing a boss fight against this vampire yeah. character and it has three phases or whatever. Whereas mm-hmm. the caretaker was like, what is this? Like, how do I beat this? Mm-hmm. I don't get this. Uh, you know, because it, it, you know, if he hits you, he heals, he summons these things out the ground and, and if they get to him, he heals. And it's like, oh my goodness me. It was just like, you know, working out as you went. But, but, but Detlef for me, um, was a bit of a, a bit of a challenge again yeah i mean there aren't many times in the game despite the con it constantly telling you you need oils and things uh there aren't that many times <laughs> yeah. where it's like you actually need to use them yeah you need to use them now uh, yes. you need to you need to stock up and make sure you've got all that and then, and then you can get through and i think also because post that left there's so much more game uh in terms of like you know the story keeps going you know that's when you have your yeah. conversation with regis and, and it affects what happens next I, I think maybe that it, it's its impact as a final boss kind of faded a little bit mm. and also because now i'm you know you continue the game on it didn't feel like that full stop whereas you know odim at the end of hearts of stone definitely did feel like the full stop that's the end of the dlc you know here comes the title card and you know there's more to come it kind of i don't know it but it felt like the end of that little that little chapter of it whereas maybe with hearts of stone with not hearts of stone, with blood and wine that's just the game we're all still playing so I don't I don't know whether that's a thing in my head psychologically yeah. that I just I just yeah, yeah it did, didn't it didn't have the same impact for me. Mm. It makes a certain amount of sense. It's it's a difficult one to square off. I find the whole difficulty of this this game thing, and, it, and we've had you know, as I say, I've played the entire saga back to back on normal. The game is very different in in some ways, particularly the first one, as we as we discussed back in that podcast, uh, listeners. Um, but it is odd that. Yeah, you suddenly find yourself at the end of Witcher 3 DLC having to engage in one of what feels like it perhaps should have been a more integral mechanic all the way through. But then I'm sure people who play these games by default on the harder settings to get even more out of them would say, well, you did if you played it on the harder settings. So it's a tough one. I don't know how they they balance that off. Um, It could have been a right pain in, in the backside having to constantly wrangle with menus to make sure that everything was always right but actually there was a satisfaction even though it wasn't very realistic as I stood there at the start of this fight um, quibbling with my inventory uh, uh, not necessarily I suppose you know in a way that you would in a Dark Souls game but the game doesn't pause whereas here you obviously you're you're kind of frozen in time and you get to completely faff around with your with your specifications and your swords and your oils and your sharpening tools and all that side of things um yeah so i sort of have mixed feelings about it i kind of it's something that i want to to have had to engage with more than the final boss of of the final bit of dlc um but obviously i know there is a way to do that which is start all over again and play uh, play not only another 140 hours but probably twice as much because it'll be 10 times as hard <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a curious one josh i know you know you you obviously you're you're a FromSoft fan and 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 yeah i think we've we've all agreed that you know the fidelity of combat here is not what it is in in the best examples of of that software houses games for example but does it do you find yourself sort of feeling slightly like you've shortchanged yourself by not go like de- inter- interacting with this stuff on a higher level? Um, not really. I, I I think if if the combat was stronger, if the just the tactile 
feeling of it yeah. was stronger maybe then mm. but kind of on on the le- just on the the level that normal difficulty gives you i liked the the kind of approach to um oils and and all of that stuff um different bombs weaknesses when it came to the witcher contracts like i yeah. think kind of the prep work of going into those those monster hunts um that was appealing to me and then once you, you basically once you figured out the combination of oils and what have you to take down that beast that those fights are pretty easy um and I liked that kind of that level of difficulty, where it was just kind of you've won the fight before you fought it, if that makes sense. Like that, I that level yeah. of difficulty appealed appealed to me. But with you know stuff like Detlef, um, I, I think Detlef is the most extreme example for me. But even some of the other kind of set piece boss battles, um, it I just don't think. The combat strong enough, and it's weird to weird to say that, but also think that uh, you know, judged on the curve of this genre, I think Witcher Three's combat is still pretty strong. I definitely prefer it to you know, say the Elder Scrolls Skyrim or something like that, mm-hmm. where it does feel like you're just whacking something with a stick until it's dead. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I think with Dark Souls and Bloodborne, both of those games, like. It feels good to fight things in those just on a like foundational level. Like yeah. b- before you add on all the extra stuff, before you add on like weaknesses to you know flame and what have you. Just the feeling of swinging a sword, the feeling of deflecting attack, uh, deflecting an attack with a shield, the feeling of stunning an enemy with your gun. That just tactile that tactile feeling is amazing whereas here like not so much i think uh, yeah. i think i think i have this thing uh, we've mentioned it on some of our football related podcasts before and probably some others i think mike will know where i'm coming from with this uh, like the dream football game for for real football fans is football manager and fifa and pro evo all, all kind of all the best elements of those all kind of merged into one amazing package and i think like the ultimate fantasy combat rpg would be everything of the witcher plus dark souls type you know combat that level of fidelity and and crispness in in combat is like the the dream ticket and i'm sure we'll get there one day there's something yeah yeah there's something about the combat in in the witcher 3 in the dlc which reminds me of golden axe and stuff where where you know you you swish 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 and there's just like one animation that they do whereas even something like breath of the Wild, you know i know it's a few years on or whatever but it's it it should be simpler in your head it should be simpler but enemies just respond so much differently and if you can see that if you can read that uh it just makes the feel of what you're doing more significant you know it's hard to like say oh there's a greater weight to your attacks or whatever but like Geralt doesn't really have like a different sense of timing with what he's doing between the different swords all the swords kind of swish through the air the same it's not like oh he's holding this one a bit weird because the hilt is a bit different you know some of that could be could be really cool yeah but you know they were they they were concentrating on other areas for these games so uh yeah, and the combat, like the combat, you say is like I remember when when Witcher three first came out, and um, Kesa McDonald and Nathan Grayson had a had a conversation about it for Kotaku, and 
and Kez was very, very into this combat and Nathan was like mm. the other way. So it, it's mm. just like, you know, it does enough. And for some people, that's more than enough. And I guess if you are yeah. from software school, which is funny, of course, Kezra is very from software school. She literally wrote the book on Dark Souls. But, right. um, <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah, she was really into it. And I, you know, it, it, it worked enough when it needed to i think it only let yeah. itself down with the big bosses like like you know like the end of the world hunt itself with the with yeah. the boss at the end there it just felt yeah a bit bit kind of like like i'm just tickling him with the end of a feather duster kind of thing yeah yeah very much so whereas slicing up bandits you know never gets old mm. i wonder if <laughs> so this was this was the year that i got super into bloodborne uh, and I wonder if I would have felt differently about The Witcher 3's combat had I not gotten so into Bloodborne right alongside of it. Mm. Because I did not care for The Witcher's combat that much. I mean, I, I didn't hate it, yeah. but like Josh was saying, it, it feels like the combat is almost secondary because you have done the work if you're playing on anything that is above easy then you've kind of done the work before you even go into it and yeah. it's it's almost a foregone conclusion at that point and if you are playing on easy as i was i wasn't in this for the combat which is something that i think that i said on the uh, on the wild hunt show is that i i just I, I I was there for the world and for the dialogue and for the conversations and for the quest lines and not so much for the combat, even though I did a lot of that. I it just didn't appeal to me really because I I that it just wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to have the fight itself matter, I think, more than the preparation. And yeah. there, there's nothing wrong with with the preparation if that's what you want, because they do a really great job. There's a lot to do there. But I, yeah, I, I just, I wonder if, if my additional uh, gaming at the time had much to do with that. Yeah, well, we always talk about context. And I was talking about in our recent Final Fantasy 1 show, the fact that I was playing <laughs> The Witcher 3 alongside yeah. Final Fantasy 1. And obviously that makes uh, for a very interesting contrast. <laughs> Another interesting perspective here from Hunter30 from the forum, who says, what a way to cap off a great trilogy of games. Despite my clear affection for the DLC, though, if anything, I feel, I feel like I underappreciated it when playing. After 100 odd hours spent completing the main game, I had a slight element of Witcher fatigue. I found myself clicking through conversations more quickly than I had been and taking the gorgeous verdant environment of Toussaint a little for granted, galloping through it on roach in a bid to quickly get from A to B, not pausing to look around as much as I perhaps should have. Maybe I should have allowed some time to elapse before embarking on the DLC to help keep it fresh, but nevertheless, I still had an absolute blast. More of the same brilliant writing and epic scope, like a huge slice of rich chocolate fudge cake at the end of an already stomach-stretching banquet. The highlight of Hearts of Stone for me had to be Gauntro Dim, perhaps the most memorable and formidable villain in the game. Dripping, dripping malevolence from every pore, this really did feel like an enemy around whom even the mighty Geralt had to tread very carefully. I thought the way the writers managed that relationship was superb. It would have been so easy to get the balance wrong and either make Geralt seem too subservient and spoil the flavour of his character, or make him as flippant as he sometimes is towards other antagonists and undermine Odim's supposed power. They got that spot on in my view and that scene with the spoon. As for Blood and Wine, for that amount of quality 
content to exist as part of a DLC package is quite frankly ridiculous. It could almost exist as a small standalone RPG in its own right. I love the fairy tale atmosphere, the Don Quixote references, Regis's soothing voice. It also featured Paper Chase, one of my favourite quests in the whole game. As a civil servant, I found the send-up of infuriating bureaucracy both hilarious and very relatable. No combat in that one, if I remember rightly, just some walking around and some brilliant writing. The 10th anniversary video, which CD Projekt Red released in September, just a couple of minutes long and available on YouTube, is a must-see for Witcher fans who have finished this DLC. Reminiscent of a very short and non-playable version of Mass Effect's Citadel DLC, it's a, a heartfelt way to round off your time with Geralt and co. Yeah, I mean, talking about the, the size and length of Blood and Wine, it's about the same size and length as The Witcher 2. <laughs> So that's a, that's a fairly good comparison. Um, I noticed right at the end, I got a thing called the muter generator left left at the, the, the ranch, as it were, from Regis. Has anyone had a play with that? And Leah, you won't have had time either. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I, I'm afraid to say that I haven't either. I know it's there. Um, there's a few things buried array around in the menus and things of The Witcher that I've not yeah massively played with you know gwent isn't the only thing there is all these mutagens that are added for the for heart for um blood and wine and you know yeah. your your the, the layout changes on, on your kind of character loadout yeah. but but I, I didn't give it as much attention as i should have i know i've got a, f a few locked slots still so yeah. i guess i yeah. need to work on on doing them but uh i i now that i fired it up again and uh, you know it, it it's tickling the bug and and, and i know we're going to talk about new game plus in a minute and i'm i'm definitely thinking yeah. about that like i have infinite time which is uh obviously the problem Naturally. you know well, it is winter at least yeah, but there's a lot of other video games. Is the problem? <laughs> they have they, been they, if only special. they would just stop for a few months. This this we, is what we want. 2018 right? will be a slow year, right? Right? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. maybe yeah, so. Maybe. <laughs> Josh, have you played with the muter generator? Unfortunately, no. Uh, I'm, I'm really sorry. I did. I didn't That's realize right. we'd be in a situation where because I. I you know, I played no, no. Blood and Wine ages ago, so yeah, I feel like sure. I don't have an excuse. Um, but yeah, I it, it just didn't really interest me. It's, it's so another little no, that's fine. It's a, it's another little trinket with which to uh, yeah aid and assist your future specking out of character. Um, I assume it carries over with you into New Game Plus. Now, yeah, I if I was to start a New Game Plus, I'd have to stop doing cane and rinse basically. So. Um, <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, I'm I am I'm intending to over this uh, little break that we have between volumes uh, to just tick off those last bits of the map. But no, uh, new game plus maybe for my retirement, which is probably about twenty five years time, uh, when the game will seem really ugly and clunky. So yeah, That's maybe fine. not. It'll age great. I'm, yeah, I'm maybe going. So. I'm going to disappoint you here. I've just I've just fired up the muter generator. Muter ah. generator on the internet, okay. uh, and this item is impossible to transfer to New Game Plus. Oh, Ooh. how very depressing! But it does look like the flux capacitor, which is a good thing. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't realize. So there you go. No There's a positive and a negative there. Regis is Doc Brown. Uh, <laughs> All so along. has <laughs> yeah, has anyone started? Well, again, Leah, I know you haven't because you've literally <laughs> finished the game less than two hours ago. Uh, Josh, I know you, you play a lot of games for, for us and for your own amusement and amazement, um, but New Game Plus, does that hold any temptation for you? Well, I, I was considering it um, at some point, but um, I found out that all the equipment that uh, you've kind of spent ages... Yeah, so what what's the plus element here? 
yeah you all of that is lost um so you have Aww. to kind of like uh Start again. slowly build up your inventory again so all your level you know your level and your abilities remain the same but your equipment right. doesn't carry over mm. and i had put poured so many hours into kind of creating the master crafted yeah. uh, wolf gear i was not about to let that go so i just kind of decided you know hmm. what um i'll just you know, mop up all the quests that are left, and but uh, by the way, I've had a tragedy uh, today. Oh, I, so I, I actually I saw this tweet. Don't, yeah, I don't have a choice now uh, because I've lost um, my 120 hours save oh, no. of The Witcher Free. Uh, because um, so apparently, because I was relying on Gog's um, cloud saving. Uh, to save me here, I had a hard drive that died, and I figured, oh, well, most uh, these games are, you know, cloud safe. That's fine. That's all right. And these shorter games, ah, I'm not that bothered if I lose the save data. That's okay. Um, yeah. Um, so apparently, Gog's uh, cloud saving wasn't really working until uh, this year. Uh, they didn't really advertise that fact. Um, so uh, all the data, all the save data I have on The Witcher Three is permanently lost to the ether. Uh, so um, I'm gonna have to start The Witcher Three from the very start with Sorry, nothing. Man. So you're uh, not involved in. This coming year's worth of Kane and Rince podcasts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I'm yeah. I'm going to announce the fact that I'm leaving Kane and Rince now to uh, recover all of my <laughs> equipment in the witch. No, it it's sad, but um, I mean, at the end of the day, like it gives me an excuse to play The Witcher Free again. Yeah. But it was painful to make that realization. That is harsh. Right? My 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 good old games has been sinking all the way along. Uh, all three games, so everything's safe so mike you're tempted by this uh, obviously you know you you're writing about a lot of games professionally and also you know presumably playing for fun as well well could you squeeze this in it, it it's you know there like i said there is there is a finite amount of time so so the writing stuff does kind of take priority but um it, it's one of those games that like i mean there is no way on earth that the witcher 3 could ever arrive on the switch but games that arrive <laughs> on the switch become now my my entertainment free time commuting you know yep. here's doom here's la noir again brilliant having a, like elder scroll like skyrim on switch is yeah. fantastic it's the perfect platform for it mm. and having tv time is 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 yeah it's a much much greater premium you know if i turn on the tv and i'm playing something it'll be like you know whatever's out right now that i have to cover uh because someone somewhere is paying me for it even if it's sonic forces uh you know that, that that's just kind of the sacrifice you have to make to uh to to buy your groceries for a week indeed but uh yeah i mean it, the witcher 3 left a massive impression on me it was it was the one that made me go and look into the fiction to explore beyond the immediate game um I, I just really loved the world. Um, it came through at a good time as well because obviously Game of Thrones was blowing up in popularity and it, it was just a nice flavor for it. I could play a lot of it at home and my wife would watch and she would enjoy the storylines as well. Um, so, so it, yeah, the the idea of doing all that over again, like a good box set or something, like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to yeah. watch The Sopranos again? Well, yeah, it would yeah. if you had the time to do it. So I don't know when that time will be, but I... I haven't deleted it off my PS4 yet. You know, it, it, what, whatever the space needs of the PlayStation, you know, there's still the Witcher with all its DLC and everything holds, you know, yeah. swallowing 80 gig or whatever it is. And it's going to stay there. Um, so yeah, it's not going anywhere just yet. 
And I guess uh, some new owners of Xbox One X's uh, will probably want to revisit it because they'll be getting a version that is oh, yeah. uh, almost right up there with the with the PC version. I've got to say that would be tempting. That, that would be yeah. tempting if I if I went down that avenue. Yeah. Mm. Right, one last piece of long-form correspondence for this volume. This is from a new poster known by the name of Simon Sloth, who says, I must say that when I think back to my fondest moments playing the game, I struggle to think of many which aren't from the expansions. Hearts of Stone was strong with great characters like Gauntro Dim, an excellent Gwent card also, and Olgierd von Everek. This, however, had similar tones to the main game, so not necessarily able to stand out when compared to Blood and Wine. The whimsical nature of Blood and Wine really resonated with me initially, feeling like a Sunday afternoon matinee to the main game's post-watershed tone, although I doubt very many matinees would have as much nudity or violence. Elements like the Highbrow Tournament and its gallant knights existing almost impossibly within the same world as Geralt's gruff juxtaposed anti-hero all made an incredibly rich and diverse experience. Initially it appeared almost like a fantasy within a fantasy until gradually the wool is pulled from your eyes and the initial cheery atmosphere turns several shades darker. My favourite example would be the naive young knight Guillaume's mindless pursuit of his lady, which ordinarily would end with the helpless damsel in his arms. Instead, he ended up drunk, angry and resentful towards my Geralt, still unable to process his failure in winning his love's heart, which was completely unobtainable in the first place. Another highlight was the quest in which Geralt finds himself in a bank, trying to reopen his account to get access to his savings. This leads to a hilariously frustrating wild goose chase within the bank itself, involving clerks who task him not with slaying a beast, but to complete the appropriate form and take it to the correct uh, department. This mission had shades of one of my favourite films, Terry Gilliam's Brazil, in it, and consequently led to several laugh-out-loud moments. It's a testament to CD Projekt Red's bravery that this sort of quest even made it into the game. To some people, it may have come across as a mindless fetch quest. To me, it was comedy gold. There are so many other great ideas and moments which, in my eyes, elevate it above the Wild Hunt. In a year where Uncharted and Dishonored have released standalone spin-offs of high-quality expanding upon the universe, I wonder whether this would have followed suit if released now. I'm glad it didn't. Thank you, Simon Sloth. Uh, yes, one of the... Uh, I was talking to our Jay, editor of this podcast. Thank you, Jay. Uh, the other day, and uh, he was saying that he thought that uh, Blood and Wine was the perfect send-off for uh, for the series, uh, for The Witcher 3 in particular. And uh, and I described it as, even though like even though you're battling vampires and, and goodness knows what else, it does feel like you've gone on holiday, uh, because, I think, so much because of the uh, the environment and... Uh, and all that so yeah and it's uh, it's nice you can still obviously travel at will around the rest of the the game's world as well so it's all very nice now we also have a selection of three word reviews follow us on twitter at cane and rinse and uh yeah start with josh p tier says medieval french riviera ben monroe says so much wine zoe harwood says dlc done right Shane Hago says, please don't end. Mark Delaney says, a memorable send-off. Pietrick says, best ending nod. Uh, it's a bit where he actually looks at the camera, I think. is uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Nate Clark says, Geralt's glorious goodbye. And Ashton Herman says, time for New Game Plus. Uh, NG Plus, we'll forgive him. That's yeah. uh, <laughs> not quite three words, but we know what Snuck you're going for. Yeah. 
Nice one. Thanks, everybody. And thanks for your three-word reviews throughout the series. It's something we've been doing since the start and uh, still gets a good response. So, uh, yeah, cool. Keep them coming next year. So uh, let us summarise. This is specifically about our feelings, I suppose, as regards to would you recommend The Witcher 3 players <laughs> playing the add-ons? Uh, it almost feels redundant, but uh, sum up our feelings regardless, starting with Leah. Uh, well, so yes, I, I would absolutely recommend uh, that if you have at all enjoyed The Witcher 3, that you um, seek out this DLC. As we've mentioned multiple times, it uh, can be had for uh, very, very low prices um, these days, um, if you just kind of keep an eye out for it. I I enjoyed the, um, the storylines and just kind of the general overall flow of Wild Hunt in general. But these two pieces of content just feel, they almost feel like the short stories to the novel that was Wild Hunt. Uh, and I, I like that a lot. It's, it, which is not to say that they were uh, short by any means or that they don't stand uh, kind of by themselves because I, I believe that they both do, but they're more contained and they're more, um, they're more of their own um, uh, piece. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that, uh, yeah, if you, if you want more or even if you don't necessarily know that you want more, but you really liked what you've already done, these are absolutely worth the uh, the time investment. Um, and I, I think that being as self-contained as they are, um, well, sort of, they, you, you you might not get as much out of them if they had been released as the, uh, the Uncharted DLC yeah. uh, or anything like that, because you wouldn't have kind of that background with Geralt and your Geralt. You, you can play these on their own. You can bring in a fresh Geralt um, and not use the one that you have uh, right. used for everything else. But I don't think that that would have had the same effect. And I don't think that any of us played it that way. So no. I, I wonder how many people actually did. It, it just mm. seems like something that wouldn't make that much sense unless maybe you were going through it a, a second or third time yeah. for achievements or just for completion's sake. Um, but So uh, you, you don't, would you, you, you automatically like level 34 or whatever at the start? I think so. I, I don't know exactly what level you are when they pop you in there, but you can, mm. uh, from the main menu, you can just start, they, they give you that yeah. option. You can go yeah. right ahead and go in and they will give you a pre-made character. So... Mm. Um, yeah, it don't just, do that. It, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, yeah, I just don't see how that would would be good for me particularly because I I've spent this time gaining an investment into this Geralt and I, I it, to me it would feel like cheating to, uh, to yeah. not have him uh, in in the expansions as well. So um, all of that is a very long way to say that uh, yes, I absolutely recommend this. I, this is some of my favorite content in The Witcher Three, and um, I I am finished technically but i definitely feel that i'm going to go back mm. yeah so i've played as i say uh, the whole witcher experience back to back over the course of most of this year starting with the what is now quite a clunky original game 10 years old uh, the witcher albeit the enhanced edition and concluding now with uh, the final bit of Geralt related DLC possibly the last bit of witcher they'll ever make but possibly not they've said it's the end of Geralt's story but like, you know, uh, one thinks that maybe there's 
you know enough appetite out there for uh, mm. for more more Witcher uh, related content or at least content set in the world thereof. Um, yeah, so I've played 140 hours of this on top of however many hours I played the previous games for. So yeah, like I don't know, 250 hours of Witchering this year, um, but I'm still going back to the map to tick things off just being in that incredibly beautifully realized world as i say lucky enough to be playing it on a pc with a decent graphics card it looks pretty extraordinary most of the time um there are some clunky elements even with the additions and enhancements that dlc brought but the idea that anyone wouldn't having played through most of which are three or at least enough of which are three to decide whether they like it or not to then not continue with hearts of stone and, and blood and wine uh, would seem fairly insane to me these are absolutely substantial and fully formed bits of extra content um yeah i think hearts of stone has a particularly strong story thanks to its uh, antagonists sort of pro antagonists anyway um and at least with even if the story in blood and wine that follows through isn't perhaps the the most exciting part of it uh, you do have a fun sidekick character in regis and a ridiculous amount of new stuff to do so gosh yes do do play this if you haven't already josh you are garrity I was already kind of thinking The Witcher 3 was one of my favourite games um, after just playing the main game. Um, after Hearts of Stone, I was pretty much, yeah, okay, this is definitely in the canon of the you know greatest games I've ever played. Like, Hearts of Stone, for me, um, is one of the best written bits of storytelling um, I've, I've seen in a video game. I think... It takes a uh, classic bit of literature, mm -hmm. and but gives it that unique spin, that unique uh, video game spin, and and kind of allows a different interpretation of that story. The the player's involvement as judge and jury in the the Faust legend kind of revitalizes that that narrative and and adds a different flavor to it. And I just think Gordon Toro Dim is um, pretty much iconic for me now he's he's up there with the likes of Andrew Ryan and and GLaDOS and 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 characters like that who just are burned into my memory as just like one of you know among the best antagonists in video games Albert Wesker um, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, um, and and, uh, and blood and blood and wine as, as negative as I I think I may have come off during during this recording. All of the kind of side stuff in blood and wine is absolutely fantastic as well. Like Tucson is beautiful. I just love the architecture or the kind of kind of. Uh, Tuscany style kind of vineyards and stuff like that. It's just all of that stuff is beautiful, and I love the politics of that area. It's less, it's less war torn and more kind of backstabby, and and, <laughs> and all of that stuff is great. Um, yeah, just highly recommend both of these pieces of DLC. Is as it, the, both of these are as strong as DLC um, can be, and and is amongst my favorite DLC of any game. Lovely stuff. And let's conclude with our guest, Mike, Mike Diver. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of to echo some sentiments here, I, I don't think you can have one or the other. You kind of get them both together. Um, I did foolishly 
put on Twitter earlier on one of those little Twitter polls uh, just to ask people which which they preferred. And mm. 68% blood and wine, 32% hearts of stone, but with caveats, with yeah. people saying things like, like Sam Greer, who who's a writer at Games Master these days, saying that's an impossible question. Uh, Hearts of Stone has the better main quest. Blood and Wine is vast and and maybe you know grand or overall. Um, a guy called Scott White from another very good podcast, BitSocket, echoes mm-hmm. that. It says the story in Hearts of Stone is better, but the setting and emotional payoff in Blood and Wine is is what gets my vote. So they're just terrific kind of series crowning events like it, it it like cd project red already had a great system in place for dlc with the original game with with the witcher 3 that is where they said okay we're going to give you this much dlc for free it was stuff like haircuts and there was a few little treasure hunts and things yeah but you know you could already see that happening and then to come out with you know it's been mentioned already you know here's blood and wine a game that can fill 30 40 hours of your time in other hands, that would be a gated single game experience. Uh, but to carry it through as additional content is it, it, it feels super generous is not the right word, but you know what I mean. It it, mm. it it shows a degree of respect for the for the fiction, for the world, and for the audience from CD Projekt Red, which which I think sets them in very good stead whatever they do next you know okay Geralt's story is over like i want to see siri again i want to see the siri game um hmm. i love the tease that we get in the witcher 3 which I'm, i don't know if you sp- talked about on your podcast uh, about that i think you did where yeah. it's 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 implied that she may have gone to the world of cyberpunk which i think is an yeah. amazing potential crossover there yes um so yeah i mean my recommendation is well you know it's it's kind of obvious if you if you like if you like the witcher 3 then then you need more of this you know you need to see how this plays out this is the end you know even if you've got the bad ending in the witcher 3 you know you you can redeem yourself here you know they're not going to let Geralt go into that long dark you know they're going to give him a nice send-off he's going to He's going to find some happiness at the end of it all, which I think is right. And I think it's respectful of a character that so many people have, have loved even before these, these, you know, characters were in video games. Fantastic. Well, listeners, I hope you think that you've got the good ending to the sixth volume of Kane and Rince podcast. It remains for me, Leon, to thank Josh, Leah and Mike, as well as our correspondents and to all of you for listening. Mike, have you got anything? I, I noticed uh, you did a kind of little uh, recent recap of uh, your work that's been out there because you've, you've been busy, put it that way. I, ha- um, I have been busy, Do you busy, want to point yeah. people towards these things? <laughs> um, if you can, well, maybe just follow me on the Twitters at Mike yeah. Diver, and then like if I do write stuff, I tend to share it. But yeah, I've been doing stuff for Nintendo Life, for official PlayStation Magazine, Eurogamer. Um, every now and again, I'll pop up in Empire Magazine writing about video games. And there's other stuff happening that I don't. I, there'll be there'll be some other other multimedia things occurring soon, which I'll be more than happy to share with the world as and when I of can, course. without someone telling me off. Absolutely right. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Thanks for joining us again, Mike. Hope we uh, we can uh, persuade you to come back on next year sometime for I, another show. I would absolutely love to. When 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 you do that. Um, uh, room 215 you know uh, hotel dust ah, kind of stuff you know I've which will never happen which will never happen oh well you but say that we've done some we've done some curios and some obscurities have happened oh yeah, yeah. If, if, yeah. if anyone listening wants to, to find one of the one of gaming's greatest protagonists Kyle Hyde look him up play those games drawn out of pencils yep yeah 
remember, listeners, if you've enjoyed this and our other shows and uh, appreciate the amount of time and effort we put into them, please do consider heading to our Patreon page and donating. Uh, coming soon, PayPal button, possibly drip button or as well or, and, and other ways. Uh, and there's also that uh, Spreadshirt shop as well. Patreon.com slash Rinse though, uh, helps us out enormously if you want to donate a dollar or dollar thirty eight or whatever, whatever it is now. Uh, happy holidays, whatever your denomination. Uh, we'll see you in early 2018 with more podcasts. Next time in issue 301 to be announced. But one you do know we'll be doing is Final Fantasy 2. So you can play that if you want. Until then, 